man oh man it's uh it's been a minute and uh yeah i guess we should probably talk about picard again let's do it all right so um yeah guys remember that time that we watched uh star trek picard with jean-luc picard and then we talked about it well guess what we're going to talk about it again but this time it's probably not going to be an hour. It's probably going to be 16 hours, like, for real, because we got, like, 10 episodes we got to talk about all at once, yeah, right, Eric? Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about those episodes. <laughs> probably a lot more time than we originally anticipated. It's it's very possible. And now we're going know. to re-say everything we said in those podcasts all at once. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to create a mega cut. Of, of the Engage episodes. We're just going to put them all yes. together. And you have to listen to it in one in, sitting. In <laughs> one sitting. <laughs> oh, good grief. Good grief. Well, guys, welcome back to um, this episode of Engage. Uh, I'm the captain. I'm Captain Chase McKinney. And once again, I got my first officer. I got Lieutenant Commander Eric. What is happening, my dude? Oh, not much. You know, just living the dream, right? Are you though? I think so, right? I'm, I mean, okay. I've got the job I always said I wanted to have, so I think I'm living the dream. Okay, I mean, we'll take we'll it. Take it. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah. All right. So uh, today, guys, we're going to, uh, in, in all seriousness, we are going to be talking about um, you know, looking back at Star Trek Picard, the first season of the show, and. Um, I guess, like, before we get into it, um, I recently dropped an episode of TRTV News, and in there, kind of dropped a little hintsy about um, the future of this show. Uh, so we're not going to necessarily do any speculating about what's going to happen in Season 2, um, because, you know, reasons we don't know. But um, uh, recently there was uh, some news that one of the illustrators, one of the concept artists just put on his website like yep there's going to be a season two and a season three of star trek picard what do you think about that eric well i think that was always originally the plan right was um when this first idea came out they said potentially three seasons and then i know mm-hmm. right michael shabon said that as long as patrick stewart wants to do it but i mean i can't imagine patrick stewart wants to commit to this project for more than three seasons. Interesting. Well, I mean, it was it was such okay. like he, it was such a difficult thing to get him to come back in the first place. Like I don't think because he felt like he had moved past the character. So, um, mm-hmm. would he want to continue doing it much more than three seasons? That was kind of my point. Yeah, yeah, and. You're right. There was like some idea of it. I think Patrick himself had said something along the lines of of like a, a three season series, but it was just you know kind of hearsay at that point. And um, I think it was both Shabon and Akiva were saying things along those lines of like, "Yeah, we're just going to do it as long as as Patrick wants to do it." And then with uh, John Eves, you know he he was uh, putting it on his website that, you know, he was a concept artist for Picard season one. And then you see on there, 2020, 2021 Picard season two and three. So 
I don't know what that really means in the grand scheme of things, but it seems as though there's already been a green light, but it hasn't been officially announced. So we'll see. Um, but if there is three seasons, I think that's going to be a really good, um, a good thing uh, that they can just know where the end is and just do some really good story writing and create some great episodes for the viewers. Yeah. And I think we mentioned this on the last podcast that I like it when shows keep their season count short. When you start to run into the 7, 8, 9, 10 plus seasons, you start to run out of ideas and sometimes the quality of your writing as a whole. You can you can usually produce individual episodes that might be up to the same quality. But as a whole, I don't feel like the quality is maintained when you have super long amount of seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, all the sh- all the Star Trek shows are kind of in limbo right now because of reasons, which everyone knows about. Um, it's kind of going on all around the world, and I'm not going to say it again because it's been said enough by everyone else. So, reasons. Um, so, anyway... Uh, like I said at the beginning, we, we went through originally and did a week-by-week week, uh, reaction on this podcast for Star Trek Picard, and now that we are two months removed from the season one finale of Picard, uh, we're doing a little look back, kind of talking about some things like what worked, what didn't work. At least these are two guys' opinions on what worked and didn't work. This is not the gospel, so don't, not? don't think that what we say is, well, maybe somewhere it is. I suppose, but uh, anyway, we'll be talking about what worked, what didn't worked, work for us, uh, worked, what didn't work, did did <laughs> for us, and uh, some likes, some dislikes, um, and just wherever this this conversation takes us, um, it's going to be a long road getting from there to here. So yeah, it's nice. Now we've got All some right. perspective on it as a whole, like. Instead of just mm-hmm. talking individually and, and hey, did something work or not in this episode, maybe, you know, an original opinion that you had about something could change once you see the overall picture. Right, right. Now, what I, what I want to do is, so the, the, this Picard journey that we've been on, like, not, I'm not talking like 1980s Picard journey. I'm talking like Star Trek Picard journey that we've been on. This has been something that we've all been looking forward to in varying degrees since August of 2018. So let's kind of start there for just a second and and how that might have impacted us going into this viewing of Star Trek Picard. So tell me a little bit, Eric, about uh, the whole like Picard coming back. You know, he's, he's standing on the stage at um, STLV and given his spiel. How, what was your reaction with that? Well, at that point in 2018, it had been 16 years since he had played Picard, right? Going back to, ne- going back to Nemesis right. in 2002. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in that time, we were somewhat devoid of Star Trek. You know, we had Enterprise finishing up on television in 2005, and then... You know, you had the J.J. Abrams movies, but you really didn't have Star Trek. Uh, And at that point, when Patrick Stewart announced that he was coming back, we had had season one of Discovery, right? And 
like let's not talk about that right now. That's not our point. But but yeah. we'd had that and it was polarizing, right? People liked it, people didn't like it, there were people that were indifferent to it. Right? It wasn't like universally acclaimed, let's just say that. Okay? And then you have Patrick Stewart who you know, this giant of Star Trek, giant of the acting world. Um you know, we had seen him play this character of Charles Xavier in the X-Men movies. And um, yeah. I don't know how many X-Men movies he was in. I, four, five? I don't know the number. Okay. That sounds But right. I believe he took like a gap. There was like he played the character for a while, and then there was like a gap, and he decided to come back. And he said he was done playing the character. But then like there was a couple years later, he came back and played it one more time in Logan, right? And and so right. I kind of got this same feeling when he announced that he was coming back for Picard, that he had, had this character who he's, he played and he made iconic, and then he took a break, but now he's going to come back. And for me, the idea, it felt like he was coming back for one last hurrah, and that maybe this wasn't going to be a continuing series, it was just going to be like, a one-off idea and that actually got me really excited I, I mean if you listen to the last podcast you know I said I think I literally fell out of my chair right it was like oh my god ah! <laughs> and I was super excited for it especially I was super excited for it because of the the absence of Star Trek for such a long time the absence of new Star Trek right you can always go back and rewatch old Star Trek um, but there was an absence of new Star Trek, and um, it got me really excited. I was really, really excited. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. We we talked about this kind of briefly. It was like kind of like one of those brief pauses of stuff that we were talking about last time. But yeah, like when that news came out, I mean, I was sitting in this office space you know like this this studio space that I'm I'm in right now and I at the time I had a big screen TV that was like to the right of me from where I'm sitting right now and I I saw this news of like Patrick Stewart at STLV I'm like what the heck is this about and I threw it up on the big screen and I was like oh my god no friggin way and like I had not smiled that big like I look like a friggin idiot like how big I was yeah. smiling and and it was I, I watched that that clip I watched that speech that he gave over and over again about him returning as as Picard and his famous line of Picard is back or Jean-Luc Picard is back so it was it was fantastic and with every trailer drop that came after that like we got that one we got like a little teaser somewhere i think in the the spring late spring or something like that and then we got another one about a year later or you know a year after his initial announcement um from san diego comic-con where we found out that jerry ryan was going to be in it and then of course we find out i think it was around halloween or uh, Thanksgiving of 2019 that Deanna and Will, that Jonathan Frakes and Rena Sirtis were going to be back as well. So uh, it's been a it's been a wild ride of excitement, um, like leading up to the premiere. Oh yeah, in January. like we they that announcement came in August of 2018, 
and the show didn't premiere until yeah. January of 2020. So you had not quite a year yeah. and a half, like a year and five months, something like that. Um, and yeah. as information started to trickle out, excitement started to build. You know, we started to learn of, you know, like I said, Jerry Ryan was coming back and Will and Deanna Riker were coming back. Um, and then we saw that this we heard more plot details come out because I don't know how much of the plot they had already figured out when the announcement first came out but it was more of like the plot and we got to see like pictures of set pictures and um we -hmm. saw we heard that this was going to be a story about data and so we knew brent spiner was coming back and then we got this reveal that hugh was coming back and it's like Mm -hmm. all of these amazing characters are coming back and the excitement just built and built and built and for me, I think it reached its high in late 2019 when I think we got like the final trailer, right? And I think this mm-hmm. was the trailer where we, I think the first time we ever saw Dodge, right? Where, you know, she shows up, right? I think I, this was late, late 2019. I think, I think so. this was the first time we ever like understood, got this trailer of her, right? Showing up. They're after me. I need your help. Can you help me? Right? And and then we saw, like, there was the clip of, like, that scene with On the Border Cube, right? And we saw the sign that said, yeah. no assimilations for this many days. And you're like, what does this mean? Yeah. Like, what what's going on here? <laughs> and, like, my excitement reached an all-time high. I can't remember when that – late, like, October, November, December, somewhere around there, late 2019 – that trailer was incredible. Yeah, and and apart from that, like you know, and probably some of the listeners know how much of a fanboy I am for Jonathan Frakes. Not just you know him being Riker, but just directing and, and things like that too. But like seeing him, and you know he's alive and well and stuff. Like, woof, that was that oh, yeah. was a high point for me too in my. Getting yeah, on the there hype was, train. There was, along that time when that last trailer came out, there were the finally we saw the we'd heard that Riker was coming back, but we finally got that scene of they they were like sitting out on the dock together, and he's like, "I'm glad yeah. you didn't try to talk me out of this, Will." Well, I know better than that. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was very very exciting, and like even reading some of the the news from. Uh, whatchamacallit, the, uh, like, just, like, comicbook.com and startrek.com and just, like, the different, like, releases about, um, and I think even an interview that happened at STLV 2019, so a year after the initial announcement, Jonathan Frakes was, um, he actually wore um, a shirt on stage that says, don't ask me, I signed an NDA. (laughs) And... uh, or, or, or something like that. Um, and he was reminiscing about the time that he was recording or directing. Yeah, he was, he was, you know, no, well, no, like the, the when they were out in the woods um, mm-hmm. filming the, those scenes and Patrick turning to him and, and just kind of saying like how wonderful it is to be in such a beautiful place with such beautiful friends. And uh, that's, that, that's just, that's just great to hear. So, um, anyway, so this is just like some initial um, feelings, excitement, 
thoughts um, leading up to but, the but show. One more thing, one more thing before, now, before we get into the show. Yeah. I was super excited, and I said my excitement reached an all-time high, like, late 2019. So we're like a month, maybe two months before it aired. And then, I'm not going to lie, my excitement dipped a little bit right before the show aired because Patrick Stewart gave an interview that just really hit me the wrong way. And um, it was this interview. I forget where he gave it. Maybe you remember. But he had said that Star Trek Picard Season 1 was a response to the era of Brexit and Trump. And I got really nervous that this was going to be some liberal Hollywood um, hit piece. I don't know. I got really worried there for a second. And, you know, that first episode definitely assuaged all those worries. Okay. Do you remember that interview I'm talking about? Yeah, I remember... Uh, they, I, I remember, I remember it, but I don't remember where mm-hmm. it came from. So I'm, I'm on the struggle bus right now with that. Um, so yeah, so you were saying that the first episode airs and that, and that kind of helped, helped with that. So I guess like this is probably as good a time as any to actually start talking about the show, um, in general. So, um, what what did you like about the show? We're not even going to get into what worked, what didn't work. Let's just talk about what you liked. It's very subjective. <laughs> that, that's a so um, I liked seeing John Luke Picard again, right? I like okay. seeing the moments when you can tell he has his commanding presence. I really liked the nostalgia um, early on. There were some really good moments. Um, the you know the quantum archive obviously being one of them, right? You know I remember when I saw that scene, I was like pausing and just hitting very slowly, moving forward, so I could see in slow mo detail like all of the things that were there, and I was like. Oh, there's that, there's that, there's that. That's cool. I just remember looking at everything. <laughs> oh, there's the Stargazer, there's the Enterprise, there's the Batleth, there's the Mechleth. <laughs> Where's the flute? Where's the flute? Uh, it's not here. <laughs> that was fun. Um, you know, little music moments in the background. Um, like when he shows up to Starfleet in the second episode, there's like the Next Generation theme playing in the background. That was really cool. Um... There's the scene in Stardust City Rag right before um, Seven of Nine is going to beam back down to the planet where you hear the Voyager theme playing, right? And I thought those were little cool moments that they put in there. Um, Yeah. And I like the idea of connecting with old friends. Um, You know, we saw several very touching moments, you know, where... Picard is reunited with, you know, with Hugh. There's that touching moment right then. And then when he goes to meet the Rikers, um, you know, incredible moments. And then, obviously, the ending, which we can talk more about as we get there, with date with yeah, Data, yeah. is just that, that reconnecting with old friends, that idea. Friends lost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with the flute, I think I had mentioned it in one of the episodes, but I had actually reached out to Hanel Culpepper, who was the director of uh, the first block of episodes, and 
she she straight up said that the flute was on his desk at was the it? chateau. Did, yeah, but did that's we see it? Said. I mean, was it actually there as a prop? I don't think I don't oh, okay. I don't think we saw it, but she just she flat out said that it was there um, at his at his residence. Is okay, well that makes that makes more sense than him for him to stuff it in storage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a very I mean, all that stuff was personal to him, but like even more so yeah. the flute, you know. And yeah, I wouldn't want it in storage either. So um, yeah, like. The, the Quantum Archive and, and the Picard Playroom, I love the heck out of that. And, you know, like you were saying, I was looking around and just checking everything out that was in there. And, you know, just seeing, like, the, the little his little ships that weren't broken. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, seeing his little ships. And, I you know, one thing I, I really liked when we were at, uh, specifically the Quantum Archive, uh, was the fact that we saw the Elkars system still, but it had like an updated aesthetic, but it was still true to the original Elkars system, which I thought that was great. I love that they, they took what Akuta did and just brought it more into the future, so to speak. 20 years into the future was great. So uh, that was fun. And and also the fact, like what you were saying, like reconnecting with old friends. And this is going to kind of lead into this next part um, of, of this kind of retrospective is, you know, like we, we did see Will, we saw Deanna, we saw Hugh, certainly saw Data uh, as these legacy characters. And those were all very poignant, wonderful moments throughout this first season. Uh, include, and also uh, Jerry Ryan's 709, even though she wasn't a next-gen cast member, she's still a legacy cast member. So this might take us down a major rabbit trail. So um, red alert, <laughs> okay, both to you, Eric, and to the listeners. Let's talk about the use of legacy characters in this show. So we, we like I said, I've, I've named them already. Will, Deanna... Data, Seven, okay, and Hugh. So, what what are your? We can take this however you want to take it, but let's just kind of start talking about that. Like, what'd you think about how one or all these characters were used in this okay, story? So, now that we've seen the full story so, of season one, as we said, we when we started to hear finally about the plot details of this show, we we learned that. This was going to be about Picard dealing with Data still. After 20 years, like, what are his feelings and thoughts about about how Data sacrificed himself to save him, right? And how Picard has coped with that. And I said this when we did, when we recapped the first episode. I thought Brent Spiner was used perfectly in the first episode. Okay, we open up. It's like it's a dream sequence, and we're we're in ten forward on the Enterprise D, and that scene. That's like the that was like that opening scene. Like made my like like little heart giddy. Right, that opening scene. Um, they're just they're playing cards because one of the things like Picard, he never joined the card game, right until the very end, yeah. and he says. 
what's I don't know what his exact quote is. He says, I should have done this a long time ago. And then, so for him to have, like, a dream about, you know, playing cards with Data was just, like, a really fun moment for me. And then, you know, we start to see there's that later, that dream sequence with Data where he, you know, he's dreaming and Data's painting, making the painting of Dodge. And I thought that was perfect. And so Brent Spiner, in that very first episode, was perfect. And... Sure. Honestly, I thought that's all we were going to get of him. Like, I didn't think he was going to come back at all because I thought that was just like once we were getting into the story, it's like, okay, he's just a jumping off point and now we're going to explore something else. And then Brent Spiner comes back in two instances later on in the show, right? One, he comes back yep. as Alton Singh, Alton Sung, right? Um, you know, Data's real brother, I guess. And then yep. he comes back in that scene at the very end. And I guess we'll talk about it now instead of at the end of this. But that scene with Picard and Data in that purgatory, limbo, whatever you want to call it. right? Where, like That's essentially yeah. what it was for Data. It was purgatory. Um, he yeah. was, you know, held between two different worlds, life and death. Everything we saw throughout this entire show, I feel like that scene made it worth it. And, oh my god, that might be, like, I, there, there's, there's like three scenes that are like, up at the top of, like, my best moments of this season, and that's one of the three scenes. It is just, damn near perfect. And that send-off for Data there, where he says, when you leave, will you do me a favor? Will you, you know, basically end my life? You know, pull out, pull out my neurons. And he's like, Picard's like, you want to die? And he's like, no, I don't want to die. I want to live, even if it's brief, because I know that Life only has meaning if we know it ends. And I'm stuck here, and I have no meaning. So I want my life to have meaning. And then, you know, pulling the plug and, and Data passes, and, and he sees Picard back in his TNG-era red uniform as his captain. And that is just amazing. Yeah. And that right there yeah. is the true send-off moment. Like... In Nemesis, I think they thought they were giving Data this amazing send-off. And it's it's fine, right? I think it works narratively there, right? Because Brent Spiner, at that point, back in 2002, said he felt like he was getting too old to play Data, even back in 2002. Yeah. So, like, he, he, didn't, he wanted to put the character to rest. But this right here is the real send-off that I don't think Data ever got before. And it is just pure magic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you, you talking about that and the use of, of Brent. Uh, Brent, you know, Brent and, and Data uh, throughout the season and just being perfectly content with just having, uh, you know, just one, one episode with him. 
uh, yeah, the the whole butterfly and being in this quantum realm, this quantum something or another, this uh, that they were talking about uh, was was beautiful, and the fact that the android, um, I I don't I don't feel comfortable calling him a synthetic. Um, I think there's a different class when it comes to like androids versus synthetic, and we can debate that if we need to. Uh, but with him being this android that that gets it, like his whole journey has been to become more human, to endeavor to be more human, and he gets humanity sometimes better than most humans, and it was it, it, you could it, it perfectly capped off. I think his journey, like you're you're getting at, with you know from the first time we seeing him in the holodeck trying to whistle, to you know even talking to Picard about life and stuff in all the movies, like especially Insurrection and Nemesis, and what it means to be human, and what it means to be an individual, like whenever he's talking about him and before and Shinzon and Picard. They might look the same, but they're not the same because experiences and things like that. So, I, I loved, I loved that. And then, like the, having that just moment of that blue butterfly, just kind of like, f- you know, just flying around, you know, to drive that point home, uh, was just absolutely beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment that they did very, very well. If they didn't do anything else right in the show, yeah, and then that was cap it all off with with Blue Skies, which is Data's song, essentially, being sung wonderfully by Issa Briones, right? Very talented. Like, I just, that moment was really great. Yeah. Which, we'll definitely talk about music here in a second, um, including that song. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, so that was Data. Uh, you know, we see him in different different instances and he he comes and he dies finally in a very beautiful uh, respectful manner and um, anyways we're left with with these other characters too so um hugh let's you sure. want to talk about hugh? Let's talk about hugh so hugh i mean we we met him once upon a time in tng um as a borg drone that somehow gained individuality through um, his exposure to uh, the crew, the crew members of the Enterprise D, and just how much he's changed over the course of twenty-five-ish years, mm-hmm. thereabouts, um, is is remarkable. It's fantastic, and we see him now trying to right some wrongs that the Borg have committed. That him as an individual has gained his individuality back and is now trying to help other Borg XBs, in this case, get their individuality back. So, do you think that that was, that was a good arc for him, uh, what they did for his character? Uh, do you think he was used adequately? So, Hugh was in three episodes of The Next Generation? And he was in Iborg, and he was in Descent Part 2. But was he in Descent Part 1? Because mm. I think at Descent Part 1 ends with, like, 
like lore just popping up and we know that lore is um running this little small group aboard but i don't think hugh is in that episode i don't think he shows up till descent part two but anyway okay. two two maybe three episodes right yeah and for such like a small character um you know two episodes three episodes He's had a lasting impact on Star Trek. Like, for a character that didn't really show up much, he's been kind of beloved in Star Trek history, as, as you know, yeah. and he just has. And I thought, when we first heard that Jonathan DeLarco was cast, and we saw these first screenshots of him as Hugh, I was really excited to see Hugh back, because... We saw those pictures of Hugh. We knew Jerry Ryan was coming back, right, as Seven of Nine. And we saw these pictures on the board cube, right? No assimilations in however many days. And I was like, this is going to be really interesting where we're going to have a story somehow related to the Borg. Um, and I was excited for that. You know, the Borg have always been, like, the big bad guy. And I think... Sometimes they got overused, right? In Voyager, that Voyager definitely overused them. But I was excited to see Hugh back. And this character has grown over, you know, the time that we've seen him from like a young teenager basically to now like a mature adult and he's fully regained his individuality. And this idea of the Borg Reclamation Project. Like I said, I have three moments which are like stand out above me. One is the data purgatory. And then second moment is where Hugh is basically giving Picard a tour of the Borg Reclamation Project. And, and he's like, Picard's like, or even earlier in that episode, The Impossible Box... Picard says, the Borg don't change. The Borg metastasize. Right? And you can tell 25 years, 30 years that Picard has since his experience with the Borg and it's still like a raw moment. And then he meets Hugh and Hugh's giving him this tour and he says, yes, the Romulans are essentially harvesting these these Borg and stasis for their technology, but what are we doing after you're harvesting all these technology? Well, I'm trying to help them regain their individuality, like my individuality was restored to me, and even something as small as in giving them a name can, can, can help them regain their individuality, like when I got the name Hugh. And then Picard says... Um, you're showing what the Borg are underneath all of this. They're really victims themselves. And just in the course of that episode, 30 years worth of time, he still hated the Borg. And then this one moment of Hugh giving him this tour can change his mind, like, that quickly. I think that shows a lot of strength of our character Picard. He's, he's you know, an open-minded, intelligent person. But I love this scene where Hugh is doing this. And... I thought Jonathan Del Arco played the character incredibly well. Um, uh, you know, on the the ready room, the after show, 
you know, he talked about how um, he, you know, he had a lot of friends in the gay community who, um, you know, they were suffering with AIDS, and he brought a lot of, like, their stories and their experiences to his portrayal of the character. Um, yeah. And I really liked seeing Hugh again. And he was in more episodes of Star Trek Picard than he was of The Next Generation. And that's the point I was trying to make at the beginning, whether he was in two or three episodes. Yeah. You know, very small character, but he's had a very large, lasting impact. And now he's in more episodes sure. here. And I really For liked sure. seeing Hugh. Really strong, really yeah. powerful, poignant moments. But then... And, but then he was killed. And I don't mind Hugh dying. Like, if the story is necessary for Hugh to die, I don't mind that. But the way in which it happened, I think, was very flippant. And it angered and upset me very much. Yeah. Yeah, I want to I wanna go back yeah, for just a yeah. second. Like with with the the Hugh thing and you know the thirty some odd years right like we we got to remember that Nemesis t- in inside Star Trek Picard in like the timeline Nemesis took place twenty years earlier and even twelve years um, I suppose before that was when the Locutus stuff happened so it's been thirty two years that's how old we are essentially. Okay, that is our lifetime that he has had this hatred of of the of the Borg and what happened to him where his individuality and all his stuff was stripped away from him and what we saw him battling. Well we saw Picard battling, right? Not not Hugh. What we saw Picard battling in the show, like the subsequent episode, Family. And kinda and then what happened in First Contact. And I, I think I said it in the the that particular episode when this happened, but I think this a hundred percent solidifies this as the undiscovered country moment for Picard. With with what what Hugh did for Picard, Hugh. Uh, let me back up. Picard and the crew helped in healing Hugh, and now Hugh helped heal Picard when it came to the Borg. You know, we knew Kirk despised and hated the Klingons for years and especially what they did to his son and we see that play out on every country great movie and now that's happening to him and the fact that shortly thereafter we have this person of peace of transformation of healing in the form of Hugh just gets a friggin ninja star to the chest or, or neck or whatever was just like you said it was kind of flippant like I would have maybe expected a little bit of a better death, maybe more meaningful death than just a friggin' ninja star that Nerissa threw at him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I thought he was used excellently in the show as well. Um, I, I think we got, we got just enough of him. I, I would have liked maybe one more episode with him, but I, w- I was certainly not expecting a full season necessarily with him. I and mean, he was a, he was a minor character like in one or two episodes, not one, like, you know, two or three episodes like we were talking about next gen, like 25 years ago. So I thought the balance with his character to the episode ratio type of thing was, was very well done. Mm -hmm. 
Now, we got um, we got just a few more of these legacy characters. Uh, we got seven, and we got the Rikers. Which ones do you want to talk about next? Let's talk about the Rikers first. Okay. Okay. So. The episode Nepenthe, right? We go to Nepenthe. This is probably the high point of the series for me. Um, all of these scenes on Nepenthe. Like, we talk about my three brilliant moments, right? The data purgatory, the Hugh giving Picard the tour of the Borg Locomation Project, and then I guess the moment would be the dinner table at Casa del Riker, right? If you want to say one moment, right? But okay. all of these scenes on Nepenthe are just brilliant, okay? And and I said it before and I'll, when we talked about this episode, and I guess I'll re- say it again, in The Next Generation, we have the best of both worlds, where Picard goes through this traumatic experience on the Borg Cube, and then we follow it up with this really quiet episode called Family, where he goes back, mm-hmm. you know, and nothing is really happening action-wise. It's just pure character interaction dealing with the situation. And I see here we have a similar idea where we have the impossible box, and Picard goes back to a board cube for the very first time since the best of both worlds, and he has to have make this harrowing escape and then we immediately follow that up with this really quiet episode where not much action is happening, where we're just dealing with the fallout of that situation. And I absolutely think that's intentional. And everything about this is just pure gold. And I don't know how much I can say that um, enough. There's the moment where card where we see Riker he's in the kitchen he's cooking he's got the jazz music playing and Kestra yells from outside dad stop yelling it's Jean-Luc Picard he's like what what you see that look on his face he's like what and he looks out the window and he doesn't see him and then all of a sudden you hear from our screen hello Will and he turns and he looks at them and then they go and they hug and then instantly he steps back and says wait you need to hide out. Shields up! And, like, he snapped from, like, affectionate friend to Commander Riker, right? I know, like, he was a Captain Riker at the end, but we know him as Commander Riker. And he can just instantly yeah. flip that switch and be that commanding presence that he was. That was just, that was amazing. And then the scene with where um, Soji and um, Mer- and Deanna Troy, Deanna Troy, Deanna Riker, I, Deanna Riker. Let's go with Deanna Riker. Um, uh, where they're talking in the flower garden, right? And we mentioned this before, and we had both said that we didn't really feel like Counselor Troy was a great counselor, like. You yourself, being a counselor or a therapist or whatever your official title is, you said that you didn't think she was doing a lot of really good counseling. And I agreed. I said the true ship's counselor was Guinan. She was the one, like, listening and making people 
come up with like thoughts on their own. And yeah. this scene with Soji and Deanna talking in the garden. This is like number one unquestioned best moment Deanna Riker ever had. Like this is the best moment in her entire, you know, in her entire story arc. And she this is like to me this is like real counseling here where she's like being attentive, she's listening, she's making Soji really think deeply about the situation and what's happening, and that is like awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we I remember us talking about that and comparing Troy to Guinan and being someone that does it daily and teaches students how to do it. Yeah, like this was 100% more true to counseling than anything she did in the 15 years in the role uh, leading up to Nemesis. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, man, like the whole Nepenthe episode, like that is, I think, uh, without getting too far down, like maybe some of our, our sh- the show outline that I have for today, but like, man, I think that's like my favorite episode of of the season if i'm being yeah. honest uh it gave me a little bit of everything yeah uh and even even some of the stuff that that you liked i mean i i like sitting around right. the table and too that's and why talking. i said probably my number one moment for the entire show is dinner table at casa del Riker, where this just yeah. is like hey we're sitting in the observation lounge we're talking you know everybody's got their idea everybody's welcome Right, we're talking back and forth. There's that one moment where Picard literally says "thoughts," and he turns his head side to side. You're like, "That's the moment," you know, "thoughts," and he's just like open to anybody to just bring up their idea right there. And that is like, yeah. that's Picard. Like, okay, I'm in charge. I'm running this thing, but I'm letting my senior staff talk and come up with ideas. And then mm-hmm. he goes into yeah. this speech here where, you know, Soji's still not convinced uh, of Picard's intentions, and he's trying to convince her. Um, And he's like, you know, listen to the timbre of my voice, look look at my eyes, feel my heart. You'll know that I'm telling you the truth, that I want to help you. Because you were created out you were created out of love, out of somebody that I love and somebody that sacrificed everything for me and I am going to do everything I can to live up to that. And it is just like mm-hmm. a perfect a perfect speech, right? By Picard mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like Whenever I found out that uh, Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis were going to be coming back to reprise their roles for Lord knew how many episodes at the time, um, I think I had seen something on IMDb that they were going to be in like, or that that Jonathan Frakes was at least going to be in like two or three episodes, and it turns out he was only in two. Um, I was just giddy because like seeing just like one, like thinking one episode, I'm like great, they're going to kill him. <laughs> like that was that was like really what I was thinking like great they're just gonna kill him they're gonna kill him and they're gonna kill Deanna and that's gonna be the end of it and I didn't want that like I was 
I I love the fact that they gave the Troy Rikers, I think is like what they have, or at least that was like Thad and Kester's name, last name, that they gave them like a happy ending. You know, they, they had their cake and they could eat it too, unlike the rest of us. And the fact that despite the fact that that the character of Will Riker had it, had it all. Like he was in Alaska in space, basically. And he gave up everything. You know, there was a chance that he could get killed, but he gave up everything, you know, and reactivated his commission, essentially, to go be with his friend and protect his friend and save him and fight alongside him once more. And I loved that. I loved how they used Deanna because like like you were like saying, she was actually doing pretty decent counseling for once. Instead of the crap that she was doing, which was highly unethical with the crap she was doing on the show, by the way. We won't get into that. It's a different <laughs> podcast, I guess. Um, but then, like, the garden. That was perfect. How they how they used Will, like, to show where he, him and his wife are at and putting him back in space and, and giving us some fan service, for crying out loud. Yes, we got Captain Riker in Best of Both Worlds, right? Yes, we got that. We got like little hints, hints of him being an acting captain or an actual four pip captain, but we actually got a real deal four pip captain of him, you know, leading the fleet on the Zhang He, and I loved it. I, I again another one of those moments where I was smiling like an idiot and couldn't help myself. I was like. I mean, the people listening to this, you can't, you can't see me, but I, my mouth was just like wide open. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. Yeah. When, yeah. <laughs> when, when that happened, cause I was, I mean, I don't think any of us were expecting to see Captain no. Riker, you no. know, well, show up again. Well, when we, when we or left Nepenthe, right? We left Nepenthe at the end of that episode. And there's this little tease, Rikers. He says, well, I'm still on active reserve. It would have to take, like, something really big to get me to come back. And then it got you thinking, like, we're probably going to see him again. Like, I was thinking that way anyway. I was thinking that too, and I was like, great, he's going to come back and they're going to kill him. Like, that, that's all I could think is, like, they're going to put him in a spaceship and they're going to kill him. They're gonna blow See, him up and think, I didn't try and give him some. I was thinking oh, the worst. Yeah, apparently. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, don't and kill then, my boy. Then, so, but Come then on. they spoiled his return, and this is—I mean, I don't, this, don't know if this is the place to talk about that. Like, I don't understand why the show did that. Like, in the opening credits of the final episode, special guest star mm-hmm. Jonathan Frakes. Like, oh, hey, look, Will Riker's gonna be back in this episode. It's one thing to. It's and one thing to do it in Nepenthe, the episode of Nepenthe, because we saw all the trailers, right? That, hey, he's going to be in this episode. But to, like, what should have been a big surprise, right? Riker being the captain of this Federation fleet that shows up at the end to stop the Romulans. That should have been, like, you know, you know when you're, you're on the Romulan ship, and then they're hailing us on screen, and... They, Star Trek does this thing very well where you're on one bridge and you're like standing behind the captain and then like the fate like you see the back of one of their heads and then you can't see who's on the other screen but you can kind of see an outline 
and then it flips yeah. over to the other side and you can finally see them. Like, that should have mm-hmm. been, like, a big, like, fan service moment as well, where you can do the agape open mouth. <gasps> but they spoiled it. Yeah. And they, and that's not the only time they've done that, too. And and maybe that's something we can get into, like, when we talk about some of our, our dislikes here in just a little bit. Um, but, yeah, that that's kind of one of them, like, the, the use of of uh opening yeah. credits to like maybe their their detriment yeah. so um i i mean i love the rikers i love deanna i love will i love the fact that the two actors came back to reprise their roles so i i was eating that up man and i was coming back for seconds thirds and fourths man i was being a big old fatty when it came to like those episodes they were in so um anyways we got we, i know we've been talking about legacy characters for a while we got at least one, one more we gots to talk about, and that is Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine. Okay, so I wanted to save Seven of Nine till the end because I really liked Brent Spiner as Data. I really liked Jonathan Del Arco as Hugh. I really liked Will or Jonathan Frakes and Maria Sirtis as Will Indiana Riker. While I like Jerry Ryan here as Seven of Nine, I think she. The character is different. The character has definitely changed from where we saw her, from whence we saw her last. Um, she's grown. She's more human than she ever was before. So I like Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine. I very much dislike the story arc of Seven of Nine in this season. Very much dislike it. I I thought she her character was it was used okay, but it wasn't great. I don't think they stuck the landing with her. Um, I think I, one of the things I said about Seven's character in Picard um, had to do whenever she became the queen there for like a hot second. And I would have liked to have seen something something more. more where she where she would have either gone evil and been like completely taken over and became the new Borg queen or would have become still become the Borg queen but been the Borg queen to the XBs or something like that like as it as it relates to the cube and you know the reclamation site all, yeah, all that yeah. stuff right it was it was weird because she shows up like on the board, on the artifact, um, you know, they take it over. She becomes the Borg queen. We are Borg, um, and then you know, she ends up going to Capelius, and the Borg cube crashes, and then she's on the the Borg cube, like cleaning up, fixing the mess, and then we see her and Elnor are talking there, like, hey, well, it, it's almost like. You get the idea that they're going to take over together, those two of them. They're going to take over the role that Hugh played. They're going to be the caretakers and protectors of these XBs. Which would make sense. And then... But then we see at the very, the very end, when we get the very last scene, everybody's on the La Serena. And it looks like Seven and Elnor have abandoned the, the this board cube the artifact and all these xbs and it's like 
Yeah. Does that make and, sense? And not just like the XBs, but the friggin' pyramid of Giza that landed on the planet for crying out loud. You know? Yeah, like that. Yeah. It just seemed like she was kind of shoehorned in, you know, after seeing like the whole story, right? Like, after it, 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 it became. It got to a point where it just felt like she was just shoehorned in for some reason. Um, and I think the reason was because of the Borg mm-hmm. connection. And I think the... Uh, yeah. This might be leading into to something else. I don't know. Um, but with the leading in with the Borg thing, I, I think the Borg was like the, like the main story point. And then it kind of just fizzled out, and it just started to become something else, which is, it's okay for there to be this evolution of a story, and for things to change, but it just seems like they got lost in the sauce with what they were doing, where it was, it was let, it was, it was, where it oh, was I, less I definitely feel Borg, that same way. like it was I definitely feel that same way. being made out to be, and now it's more android, synths, whatever you want to call them. So it felt very disconnected, and I think... Jerry's character got maybe just like lost in the mix of what they were trying to do. I think that's the best way that I can like wrap my head around it. That that's the best. I think that's a pretty good explanation. Um, I, I've seen on online like IMDb is simultaneously like the greatest place and the worst place ever. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you can like you can get the opinions of like random people on the internet, but. You can get the opinions of random people on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've seen a lot of people... Yeah, you like that one? <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, I've seen a lot of people try to compare Jerry Ryan being and Seven of Nine being put into Picard. They tried to compare it to Worf being put into Deep Space Nine. Two totally different things. Two totally different things. And, like, I guess at a surface level, I understand the comparison, right? You've got a big character from one show coming over and being a character on the other. But, like, for me, it made sense for Worf to come back onto Deep Space Nine, especially at that moment, right? Uh, If you've not seen Deep Space Nine, tune out for a couple of minutes here, right? The Klingon Empire is going to, you know, invade Cardassia because they believe they've been taken over by changelings. And, like, we need somebody that can create a dialogue with the the, the Klingons. So Cisco says, hey, give me Worf. Give me this guy. And it made, it made sense, and, and it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like we were... Sh- shoehorning is the word you use this character into the story it felt like the natural and correct thing to do and then his continued presence on d space nine after that initial moment also continued to make sense and i just feel like jerry ryan seven of nine's presence here didn't continue to make sense yeah and and to your point like with with the wharf thing in ds9 I mean, even within the connected story of Star Trek in that day and time, right? We had just had him being promoted from lieutenant to lieutenant commander in Generations. And then, uh, spoilers also, the, the Enterprise-D kind of crashes and everyone is kind of 
having to be temporarily reassigned. So he's he's kind of off trying to figure out what he's going to do next, whether he's going to even stay in Starfleet or or leave and go be yeah. a warrior in the Klingon Empire. So even narratively, apart from, from that, it made sense for him to be able to not be on the Enterprise and to be elsewhere. And, yeah, but, and, but, and he just got promoted to lieutenant commander, so you know you take on more responsibility, more command, and and mm-hmm. it it just made narrative sense. Right. So, does this mean I like the character of Seven or you know the actress Jerry Ryan any less? No, no. It just there. I think again, my opinion, things could have been fleshed out a little bit more, perhaps. And that the writers and some folks just got lost in the sauce with what they were trying to do, and that's it. Yeah. So, it was kind of a it was kind of a miss for me, and it sounds like it was a miss for you with the use of her, her as a legacy character. Yeah, definitely a miss. Okay. So what I what I want to do just real quick, Eric, um, you know, <laughs> one thing that kind of came from our very first episode of Engage was the music was the theme song and we talked about how um, pretty much all the the Star Trek shows have this iconic you know sound to them and you know maybe some of them are memorable some of them are not so memorable and that they evoke certain things from from the viewers the listeners what I what I want to do is I just want to do maybe like an on-the-spot I don't know if I want to call it an experiment or what I want to call it, but I just want to like, <laughs> Oh no. I, I want to, to play two songs real quick. Okay. And I just want to get your opinion on it and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Okay. So I'm, I'm totally putting you on the spot, but um, I did this with, with my wife before uh, we started, you know, recording this show. So uh, she was your test subject. She was my, my first test subject. Yeah. Um, so, let's see here. Am I supposed to be like trying to guess where these came from? What am I supposed to be no, no, no. trying there's, to do? There's no, there's no guessing. This is straight. So, so let me just say this, okay? Spoilers, I guess. This this little experiment is taken straight from the Star Trek Picard season one soundtrack. Okay. Okay. Right. So, there's no, there's absolutely no mystery to where it's coming from. Okay. So I know you can see my screen. Um, but the folks at home listening obviously cannot. I want to make sure that I have everything on the way I need it on. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play the the official main title that we have for the show. All of it? Not all of it. Um, <laughs> we're going to play. We're going to play a snippet of it. Okay. We'll play like maybe I don't know 20, 30 seconds of it thereabouts. Okay. Okay. Just to kind of get us in the right frame of mind. All right. So here we go. Hopefully you were able to hear that. I heard it. Okay, that's good. 
Otherwise, that would have been really awkward, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so that is the official one. Okay, the official main title. Let's listen to this real quick. So we got these two, these two, okay? So one is the main title for Star Trek Picard, and the other one is the complete end credits title for the 10th episode of the season. Okay. Just kind of, there's just, we're just going to see where this takes us. What'd you, what do you, is there anything that's kind of like jumping out at you, like hearing the two of these, like these samplings of these two songs? Okay, so in the opening one, I hear flute and violin, right? Those are the two main instruments? Yeah. Cello, okay. but yeah. Oh, cello, okay. Yeah. Stringed instrument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, that didn't, that doesn't work as an opening theme. I don't know. It's too slow, I think, for an opening theme. Okay. I think the opening theme needs to be more up-tempo, um, and it's not very memorable. Okay. I think those end credits, you hear a lot of... Um, there's a lot of drum in those end credits, aren't is right? There's some drums, there's some mellophone, some... Bra- yeah, there's more brass than there is string. Okay. I think those end credits would have worked well as an opening theme, right? It's like, it sounds more dramatic, it's more up-tempo, and I think that would get me into the episode more than the actual opening credits. Okay, that is the exact point I was going to try and make with the with comparing these two songs. Okay, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, with with the end credits for episode 10 of season 1... It's, it's got the same flavor, or, or at least a very similar flavor, to what prior Star Trek shows had. And I think if we would have had that one in the place of the main title, it would have served the show a lot better. And, for, and, and have the main title be the end credits one. I think it would have closed it out in a more thoughtful way. Yeah, and and I don't know. Maybe I'm hearing things because I want to. Was there a little bit of the next generation theme reworked into those end credits? Yeah, I didn't get too far into it, but yes, there is some next gen uh, or yeah, next gen motion, the original motion picture, it's the or whatever. Same thing, yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, like there's still Goldsmith stuff that's mixed it's in. It's reworked into there, yep. like rearranged. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought I heard that. I wasn't like hearing things. Yeah. So, you know, like the music bit, 
it's it's important to me. I, I think about this stuff. Um, I listen to this stuff, kind of try and figure out like what the emotion is behind what the the composer is trying to convey, but also what the story might be um, doing at that point um, in the show. Now, um, once upon a time, I had told you and the listeners like, hey, if you don't want stuff spoiled for you, don't listen um, to it because it's just like chapter one of Star Trek Picard season one. So when I went in to re-listen to the main theme in preparation for this show, I was pleasantly surprised to see that the entire season score was on that same soundtrack now. So it's just been redubbed, just Star Trek Picard season one instead of chapter one. So you, if if you guys are really interested in that, if you haven't listened already, um, at least on Spotify, it's got the full soundtrack. I'm sure you can download it somewhere if you really are into that and and go from there. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what the, the folks listening think if they share the same opinion. But I'd love to hear that if if um, you hold like a, the same opinion or if, if you're just perfectly content with how the music is presently so 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 were there any in episode musical highlights for you like during the episode did it the music reach any point where it like you know conveyed like a good sense of emotion for you yeah did did it work yeah there were there were a lot of points that i think really really worked um there's um a song on here or not a song it's just you know an arrangement on here and it's rios and picard and it's the point where they're just kind of sit and have a good chit chat on the lost arena and the music i thought was great for that and so i think they did a really really good job of that um even i mean even the main theme i know like i'm kind of saying like it doesn't really i'm saying it doesn't work as a main title but as a as a piece of music it's a beautiful piece of music that works to convey emotion period so it worked that works for me but it doesn't work as a main title it works sure, as an I, end I title. get that i get that um there are just some like oddball ones like and i think i've said this before but there's like this like waltz that they're doing the soji and Narek waltz where they're like in their socks sliding down oh, the oh were they yeah they which was just I said that whole scene was sautéed in wrong sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about that scene was like wrong. Uh huh. Yeah, and and that's the one. Um, and let me just kind of th- try and throw it back up. Um, so the that's the one that reminds me of Haunted Mansion for some reason. Like for some reason, like hearing that, like those twenty-three seconds, just it takes me. Like if you've never ridden um, the haunted mansion at Disney, there's a there's a part in there where there's like these ghosts that are just like kind of dancing um, in the on the ride, and that's just like what it takes me back to. I love haunted mansion, but I'm like, why am I at Disney right now? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does have like a, a horror movie feel to it. Um, I remember we were talking during that episode. And because you had heard this music ahead of time, mm-hmm. right? And now you're hearing it again. You expected like a board to like pop out from the corner, 
when they were there. 100%. Because <laughs> yeah. it does have that, that horror movie quality to it. Right, and even the development of the Borg, and I hope I'm not getting too far off the reservation, but like even with the Borg, like how they've evolved um, going from TV to movies, like especially you know um, First Contact and then subsequent appearances in Voyager between them and species uh, 8472 they st- even in the TV show they still have a horror esque vibe to them so it would make sense for that kind of like ah gotcha type of thing to happen yeah you know yeah that's like a horror movie trope right yeah. the, the guy pops out from behind the corner like you know two people are kissing making out whatever and the, the monster pops out Well, I've had enough fun with my music for right now, um, but I, I wanted—I just wanted to point that out uh, with the theme song, and I think I've—I've I've done that sufficiently to this point. Yeah, so. like, and that was interesting. We both came to the same conclusion that that end credit would have worked, but I promise you, people out there listening in podcast land, we did not discuss that ahead of time. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we didn't. No, I'm the only one that has show notes in front of me right now for what I want to talk about. Eric has no idea. I have no idea where this is going. He has no idea what's up my my sleeve right now. Nope. Um, I think we've we've more or less gone through like some of our likes, including like favorite episodes. So I don't know if we need to really do that anymore, unless there's something else that you want to say about something else that you liked that we might not have talked about that I just somehow missed. Well, um, we've been talking about, uh, you know, legacy characters. Do you want to get into talking about the new characters? Yeah, we can do that. 100%. All right. So, prominent new characters. Obviously, we have the whole La Serena crew, right? Chris Rios, Rafi, Dr. Gerardi, and Elnor, right? Mm -hmm. I think those are our... And then, obviously, we've got... Those are the La Serena crew, right? Mm-hmm. And then we've got Soji, Narek, Narissa, and Commodore O. I would say those are probably the important new characters. Mm-hmm. There's eight of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what, were, what did you think of some of these new characters? Who was maybe like your favorite new character? My favorite new character, hands down, is Rios. Okay. What'd you like about Rios? He just, you know, even though like he was like always smoking a cigar in the center seat, he just reminded me so much of of Starfleet and like the ideal of of Starfleet for some reason. And I, I just I liked his portrayal. Um, I just I just liked him. There's something I just liked about him that I didn't like as much about the other folks of the Lost Arena. Or even just the new characters in general, so. Yeah, like... I really liked the introduction to a lot of these characters. Like, I really liked the very... Rios at the beginning, when we first saw him, right? He's getting that piece of shrapnel pulled out of his shoulder, right? And then he's just he's a he's a drinking cigar munching you know character, but but he still is Starfleet. Even Picard even says that at one moment. He's like, "This ship is in pristine condition. Like, you are Starfleet through and through. You might have left, 
but you are definitely Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And I really liked Chris Rios at the beginning. And then, um, even Dr. Gerardi, I mean, I guess I never really cared for Agnes much. Um, like, I thought she could have been an interesting character at the beginning, but then, you know, she slowly became middling and annoying. Mm-hmm. But, like, Rafi was my favorite new character, like, at the beginning when they introduced her. Like, she has this this moment. We we we're first, we first meet her at the very end of episode two, right? She's like, you better turn around and get back in that cab because I don't want anything to do with you, old man. <laughs> he's like, and he's like, then he's like, secret Romulan assassins are operating on Earth. She's like, God damn it. <laughs> like, why did you have to say that? <laughs> But then, like, the next episode is really where we we meet her, and we get this flashback with her, and, you know, she is, like, gung-ho Starfleet officer at that moment, too. And she's like, hey, you know, we've got all these plans, we're gonna do all these things, we're gonna help, I'm gung-ho, let's do this. And then, like, Picard retires, and her life falls apart, and we, and... Star Trek is supposed to be happy paradise, but, like, to me, this character felt real at the very beginning. They were somebody who dedicated their entire life to their job. Their life was job, 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 career, 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 which is a real type of person. There are lots of people out there in the real world that are just devoted to their job and nothing else matters. And then that was taken away from her. And she broke down. She didn't know how to operate as a person. And some people might say that's antithetical to Star Trek, but that just feels real to me. And, you know, her life was not good after that. And she harbored a lot of resentment toward Picard for it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really powerful introduction to this character. Yeah. Yeah, she started out strong, and I think she had like a similar thing happen to her that happened to to Seven's character, right? Like they have this idea of what they want to do with her and then each episode goes along and it just starts to like crumble and kind of fall apart. Um, and I think really when that happened was I don't think they stuck the landing well when they got to Stardust City and the sun was there. And it's like, okay, well you know, he didn't take me back. So, what do we do with this character now? Like, because she she was to me she she wasn't believable anymore, and she didn't have I don't I don't know what it was, but just like how she was following that episode, just nah, man. Like, she was just annoying to me after that. Right. I don't think they knew what to do with her after that moment. Right. She was just she was going to start a city to find her son, and her son rejected her. And instead of saying, hey, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to do everything I can to get back into your good graces and have you accept me back. She just like, oh, my son didn't accept me. I'm going to go back to drinking and getting high or whatever. And it's like, like, it didn't work for me. It didn't work. And I, I think you're right. They just didn't know what to do with her after that. But I kind of felt like the same thing happened with all of the La Serena crew. It's like they had these strong introductions, 
And then as the story moved on, it moved away from them. Like, this, the La Serena crew got Picard to the artifact, but then I feel like once he got there, he moved away from them, and they didn't have much to do at all after that, and I felt like they were all pretty underutilized, mm-hmm. even at the very end. Like, in, in Arcade Eagle, parts one and two, they were basically standing around doing nothing. And mm-hmm. they all had strong starts, but it's like, I know this is called Star Trek Picard, right? So Picard is our focus, but I don't feel like he was supported by strong characters. Yeah. And I don't know if I want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy for just a moment. I think this this like theme that we're kind of hitting on, like with, well, they had the strong start, but what the devil do we do with them now? I think that could that could be kind of an argument for a return to episodic storytelling within Star Trek. Because yeah. you have you have those those just one-offs where you're getting your character development, you're learning about them, but they're still they're still part of like the team instead mm-hmm. of just like one narrative and if the narrative doesn't work then the whole thing falls apart. Right. If like like Elnor is a character who I think could very much benefit from an episodic structure. Like, you could easily write Elnor out of this story and it wouldn't change very much. Like, very easily just cut him out and it wouldn't change very much. Um, Because he doesn't really have much to do. No, he's just, he's a puppy dog. That is his character. I'm sorry for all the the Elnor fanboys, all the the Elrond, you know, space elf fans out there. Okay, no disrespect, but like he is a puppy dog. If he's not following Picard, he's following Seven, and that's it. Uh-huh. And and I feel like if you had an episodic narrative, you could you could have an episode where there's something for him to do. Right? He can be the puppy dog in an episode, but he could be a prominent member of that episode. Mm-hmm. Or you could write an episode that is Elnor-centric, right? And you could give him the opportunity to come center and front of stage and do something. Do you? Did you ever think that, and this is kind of just coming to me right now, but did you ever think that maybe Elnor was meant to be the Star Trek Picard version of Data? No. Like the like some of the naivete that that data had um, in the TNG run and having to learn and with Elnor having his naivete, right? And like always having always telling the truth and kind of getting lost in like what's being said or whatever. I don't know. No, I never really thought that because because again, I always felt like data was important to the story and 100%. had something to do, but Elnor just never felt important to the story. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that data wasn't important to the story, but just interactions. No, I, I see what you're saying. I, I can I can see that now that you've said it, but that's not something that I ever thought of. Nothing that ever came to mind. Sure. Who was your favorite bad guy? Of of the season. 
Um, well, it wasn't Nar- it wasn't Narissa. Yeah, it wasn't Narek. Definitely So I guess not. it has to be Commodore O, right? It can be, yeah. I mean, who? I mean, was there a bad guy? Well. <laughs> Welcome to the part of the show, everyone, where we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, like, Narissa was just one-dimensional, like, evil. Like, there was no... We, we compared her to Cersei Lannister all the time. Mm-hmm. But, like, Cersei Lannister had depth to her. Narissa didn't. Um, Elnor, like... I wit Not Elnor. Um, Narek. I wish we had gotten scenes of Narek by himself. Like, every scene we saw with Narek, he was either with Soji or with Narissa. Um, and it's like, I never really fully understood his motivations. Like, yes, he was, you know, trying to find the location of the nest, but I wish I had gotten more of him, because he I think he could have been an interesting character. Yeah. But I just don't think he worked, because his story was... He didn't ha- he didn't have his own story I felt like mm-hmm. it wasn't developed enough his his arc was always connected to somebody else mm-hmm. and, and Narek was certainly on my my list of dislikes about the season I don't think that's a surprise to anyone if you've listened to the engage episodes um, I, yeah I've joked around with about calling him Austin Powers but I mean like just like the the mannerisms and the choices that he makes and just like his character it's just like a like it's constantly like a brake check man like with him like you 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 think you're going somewhere and it's like brake check and it just comes to a halt and you just feel like you're gonna you're just gonna crash right into him like are we gonna get any forward momentum with this dude is he just going to be just a one he just seems more like a one-dimensional character than anything else like yeah, we got like maybe a hint of it, um, you know, while they were having their kumbaya sit around the campfire moment, you know. But I don't see them singing "Row, row, row your boat" together after this first season. And so, so I know we said we weren't going to do much talking about, you know, our thoughts of future seasons. But you just brought it up. Do you expect to see Narek back in season two? I don't want to, but I'm, I'm gonna probably bet we will okay um just because like we there have been a lot of like uh folks asking like where'd Narek go where'd Narek go um he was arrested but that was that that was on the cutting room floor Um, is that true that is that is what the director said and that's what uh Kurtzman has said that he was arrested by Starfleet and he was hauled off so so if they arrested Narek, why didn't they arrest Agnes? That's an excellent like, question. Like, what happened to that story arc? <laughs> yeah, like, why, why didn't they take her off to Deep Space 12 like they said they were going to? You know yeah, what I'm she said she was going to turn herself in. Like, I'm done murdering people. <laughs> I mean, if she just stepped out of an airlock, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> Yeah. Is that too harsh? Yeah. It might that's be harsh. A little, that's a little harsh. Um, that's a little harsh. Yeah, she was annoying. Definitely, she was. She was not 
Ensign Tilly annoying, but mm-hmm. she was pretty annoying. Yeah. So, have we said all we need to say about the new characters? No, no, we have not, because okay. I have not mentioned my favorite new character. Do it. Do it. My favorite new character is Kestra Riker. Come on, somebody. Oh my god. What an amazing character. I know she just one episode, but what she did in that one episode was better than any new character did in however many other episodes they were in. She was amazing, and that little girl made my heart melt. Like, like, just as... I don't know what the actress's name is or how old she is, but, like, for as young as she was, right, and presumably she doesn't have a lot of acting experience because she's young, right? I'm looking this up. She is currently 14 years old. Okay, so maybe she was 14, maybe she was even 13 when they filmed that episode. Yeah. She was amazing. Like, you know, out of the mouth of children speaks the truth often, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And Kestra was a truth talker in every single instant. And this truth speaking and this curiosity that just came out of her was so amazing. Like, you're an android? Oh my god! No malice there outing outing Soji. She was like, oh my god, you're an android? How cool! Do you have super strength? Do you like Sherlock Holmes? Can you play the violin? Can you do all this? Like, Do you have mucus? <laughs> yeah, do you have mucus? Do you have spit? Like, just, it's like, so curious. And then, and then at the end, when she has that final talk with Soji, and she's like, I'm too young to really understand what's happening, right? I, like, I my brain is not developed enough to understand the full weight of this situation here. But I know something bad has happened to you, right? I can tell that you're in trouble and that you're hurting, okay? I've been in trouble before and I've been hurting too. It might not be the same, but I can empathize with you and... What helped me get through it was my parents, right? They were strong people. They were smart people. They wanted to help me. And Picard can be that for you. He can be the the parent that you need, the wise person that only wants what's best for you and only wants to help for you. And what an amazing thing for such a young person to be able Mm -hmm. to understand. She doesn't understand the full situation, but she understands, like, a way to help and to to work through the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kestra was, was 100% a standout character, and I have no idea why I didn't run to that one either. But love her. Uh, everything about Nepenthe was good. Come on now. Great episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything about the scenes on Nepenthe were great. Yep. Yep. So I do hope, and I think we said this uh, when we were originally talking about that episode, I do hope that we can see more of her in the future. Yeah, um, I don't know how they work her character into the story, if but, like, I would be all for it. Okay, so, um, Patrick, um, Alex, I hope you're hearing me right now. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me, Alex. Look at me, Patrick. Listen to my, listen to the timber of my voice. 
right now. Okay, you've done a you've done a, a, a pretty decent job so far on season one of Picard. Okay, but and you should still listen to me. Okay, this is for you. Okay, this isn't for the listeners. This isn't for Eric. This is this is for you guys. We need more Kestra. Okay, so I need you to uh, to make it so like right now. Okay, that's it. All right, now Eric, is there um is there anything else? <laughs> that that we need to talk about when it comes to these new characters <laughs> or any other likes <laughs> no i think that's good i just had to make sure i brought up kestra because okay wow all right now um i want to talk just a little bit about some dislikes uh, maybe some things that didn't work for you um so to speak and I have um, one on my own that might be a little controversial for some folks. Um, and then the other one, which is kind of maybe an outright idea that came from one of our uh, most recent podcast um, episodes. So let's talk about maybe something slightly controversial that I didn't like that just doesn't work for me anymore after watching the whole show. Okay. And that is blue skies oh really yeah i'm over it man i'm over it i think it's been used too much um i was okay with it i'm gonna sound like a hypocrite i thought i was okay with it in the beginning like with the enterprise okay not okay with it at the end because like I mean, like, let's let's think about the context of, like, how much we've been hearing this. So we heard it in O2 with Nemesis at the wedding. Data's singing it. Okay. I listened to the mess out of Blue Skies myself. I love the song. Okay. It's a beautiful song. Great arrangement. I like it. Okay. Not dogging the song. Fast forward to, to that sometime in 2019 where we're starting to get some teasers and guess what's playing blue skies and then we get another teaser and i'm pretty sure more blue skies and then we get to the first episode blue skies right at the the very beginning (laughs) are you noticing a pattern yet eric yeah i i can totally see the overuse of it um yeah it's a great song, and it, it marks a very happy moment. It, actually, it's a bittersweet moment for the crew, for really breaking it down Barney style, for, for them in Nemesis, because this is like the last time they're really going to be together. Truly, all going to be together is at this wedding, and having happy times together. And the more it's used, the more somber it becomes, which there's nothing wrong with that. It just, it's being overused and too much of a good thing. <sighs> Leave it alone. Yeah, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Um, I just, I like the choice at the end to have Issa Briones sing it, right? Because, you know, it's Data's song and she's, she's, um, you know, obviously she's playing Data's daughter in a sense. And I just, I thought she sang it very well. And I thought the arrangement of it was very well in that moment. Yeah, she she sang it beautifully. Totally did. Just, it's not for me. 
that's it. That's all it really boils down to. It's just not for me. Okay. Just hearing it as as much as I did. So. Um. Now there's there's this other part that I was kind of hinting at. That I that was brought up, but it was the Picard and Borg versus Picard and Synths competing storyline that we were starting to talk about in a recent episode that I I didn't like how that ended up in this this first season. So, you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, cuz this is this is my main issue with the the story arc of season 1 here. Mhm. So, when we started to see trailers come out and we started to see um you know understand plot points i thought that this was going to be a show that was revolved around the borg right i thought that the borg were going to play a prominent role in this story somehow and that's why we were bringing back hugh that's why we were bringing back seven of nine but really this story had nothing to do with the borg it really didn't it it like yes there, the Borg, the cube, the artifact was a part of the setting, but the Borg themselves, right, really, and the Borg and the XBs really, had almost nothing to do with the main storyline here. I felt like that was just a diversion away from what this show was actually about. And, and, that the and I, I the problem is the idea of the artifact is so interesting to me. Like, this, this Borg cube that's been... Submatrix collapse, I think was the term they used. Well, it's been severed from the collective. And you've got thousands of Borg drones in stasis. And you're basically harvesting them for parts. Like, it's like... It's like, you know... Unscrupulous doctors, like, harvesting organs out of people. Right? And using them and selling them. And and then what do you do with the person that's left over? The the per- what do you do with this body that's left over after you've harvested its technology? Well, you try to reintegrate it into society somehow. And and we see Hugh say the XBs are the most hated people in the galaxy because people hate the Borg, but. These people aren't Borg anymore. These people aren't Borg anymore. And, um, you know, what can we do to help them? And I think that would have been a great, interesting Star Trek story of, like, you know, using diplomacy or whatever or preju- prejudice. Um, and you could have talked about, you know, what do you do after someone has been deassimilated? And trying to reintegrate them into society, do they have a place? And and even then, you know, because sci-fi, it, it it's a critique on society and how we can learn by not looking at the stuff that we know. Like that is an issue that we have with prison systems, for one. You know, like how do we get these folks integrated back into society after? they've been essentially institutionalized in prison. I have friends, I have colleagues that 
do that as part of their work as counselors. Like they're trying to help these people get back into society. So yeah, it would have been fantastic and it would have just, I don't know if it would have given us like closure or just like a bookend on the Borg, but it would have, uh, it would just would have really furthered that storyline even more. And it would have been a much more complete undiscovered country for Picard. I know we got it with Hugh and like that healing with the tour and the stuff, but it would have like really like speaking to the advocacy part, like how do you, how can you advocate for someone that, you know, you're not, you can't relate to? Well, that's, that's something completely different, but like he was, he is an XP and he, he, he's had healing from it. So he can have that experience rather than just becoming a robot. Right, and 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 at the end, we see that, you know, the end of this story says, Jean-Luc Picard is now going to be an advocate for these synths, where we had the ban on synths, there was prejudice against them, but now we're going to have to try to accept synthetics back into our society, right? And they need an advocate, which is a similar story to what we're talking about, but instead of creating a new species, in a sense, for us to try to advocate for, why don't we just use a species we already have, and we have history with them, and and use them as the people we're trying to reintegrate into society? And what an amazing story if Jean-Luc Picard is the advocate for the XBs, right? Mm-hmm. Known Borg hater, right? Known Borg hater who 30-odd years after his experience with them still hates them with every fiber of his being. Now, him to become their advocate for these XBs, what a powerful story. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll get that with Janeway somehow. I mean, because she was in the Delta Quadrant. I mean, she'll probably show up in, like, season two, right? Well, did you see, like, the Voyager just did a cast reunion? Yeah. Yeah, and Janeway, not Janeway, but Kay Mulgrew talked about how it would be nice to somehow come back to the franchise. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd be be all for a Star Trek Janeway. (laughs) (laughs) I would would watch the hell out of Star Trek Janeway. All right, Eric, this is your moment. (laughs) You can talk to, to Alex right now if you really want to. No, I don't. I, 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 no, it's not gonna happen. But I would watch the hell out of that show. Okay. <laughs> I watch the hell out of that show. Um. Yeah, and so another thing, following up with this board, even if you you make this story specifically about these synthetics, mm-hmm. um, and you've got this advanced synthetic race in the sky, right? Who's going to come down and they're going to rescue these synthetics by, um, you know, killing everyone else, killing all the organics, essentially. Um, So even if that's the main story that you want to tell, you could still work this Borg artifact into that story. Like, the Borg artifact... You know, crash landed onto Capalius, and then that was its story. That was the end of it. So, I had this idea that what if at the big at you know when the Romulan fleet shows up uh, at 
Acapelius, and they shoot the flowers up into the sky to defend them. And then they have this really stupid idea of like, hey, let's make fake little Las Arenas all over. Dumb, dumb idea. Like, dumb. What if, at that moment, before the Federation fleet shows up, what if that's the moment where the Borg, the artifact shows up? Right? Instead of in the episode prior, what if it shows up now, and the Borg artifact is now going to help defend these synthetics from the from the against the Romulans, these Romulans who were their oppressors and basically used them for spare parts? Yeah, that could be an interesting story. And, and then you could and then you could form an alliance between the XBs and the synthetics. And yeah, could, you know, could, and could the XBs have Federation citizenship now? Right, and then maybe even maybe even still, you could do something more with, hey, maybe these alien, these advanced synthetics in the sky, maybe they're not just bad guys. Like, like maybe they see something in the XBs and they become the protectors of the XBs. I felt like there's so much more you could do with that story. I don't know what it is perfectly, but. I feel like those that XB storyline could have there's there's a lot more you could do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even we we still have some unanswered questions, which is okay in, in a way, as if if they're gonna go that direction. But I doubt they will now. With again seven, whenever she was hooked up as the queen, and in the queen voice. Uh, saying Annika still has more to do. Okay, well, what's well, that? What 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 was that more? What what is that more, yo? I mean, yeah, like they they used like a transwarp conduit and they showed up there like with a big boom, but like So, yeah, like that would have been interesting. Like I'm I'm 100% okay with her becoming the Borg Queen, whether it's a good or an evil Borg Queen. I'm totally cool with it. But you know what what I would have liked is, like, I don't feel like Seven of Nine had any connection to that Borg artifact. No. Other than she's just an XB. That's it. uh, Yeah, yeah. So what could have been an interesting story is what if Hugh hooks himself up? Instead of killing Hugh in some flippant way, what if Hugh hooks himself up to the Queen Cell and he becomes, like, the Borg King in a sense? Right, because he has connection to these particular XBs and this artifact. Mm-hmm. That could have been a much more interesting story, and that would have also created some conflict for him more so than what Seven had. Because I mean, Seven had the trepidation of it, like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to take away their individuality." Hugh is the person that is essentially giving them their individuality back, and if he were to hook himself up in the Queen Chamber and become the King Queen, the regent whatever you know the person that's giving it is now taking it away and then you can talk about morality and there's yeah. a lot of a lot of good story you could tell there in like good star trek yeah 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 so um i think the only other thing um that and i, I think i talked about this too but like even just like reflecting on it some more I, don't, I still don't know how I feel about the fact that Data and Picard have essentially swapped spots. Data became human, Picard became an android. And 
it just makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not as as full of rage as I was when that episode aired, but it's just like this kind of awkward, icky space that I'm in with all this. Yeah, that like the idea of Picard becoming a synthetic is the worst aspect of this show as far as I'm concerned. I don't like that story. I don't understand who why you would think it is a good story. Like I can't imagine Patrick Stewart like in the writers room reading that and saying, "Yes, let's do that." Like I don't I mean, he's an executive producer, so he has to have some creative control over the show and I'm shocked that he like thought that was a good idea yeah so I, I know, know I, I don't like it this is this is a hot take and you might disagree with this but I think that if if data would not have died okay if he would not have died I think it would have been maybe just as good or close to it if Data did become like old man Spiner like I was talking about. Like where it wasn't like the gold makeup and the, the yellow eyes but it was like how we saw AI Soong, right? Um, right. I think that would have been good because that would have been like, again that would have been more development in his journey to becoming more human and even then like he wouldn't have to like Brent wouldn't have to put on the makeup and worry about looking old because he is old, right? And he could still have the memories of Data because of like, you know, the HAL thing, like all those like USB sticks that were sticking in there could have been uploaded. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just me. Like, I would have, I could have been on board with that. In fact, I was on board with that early on in our discussion of Data and what they could do with Brent. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, anything else that um, maybe you disliked or it wasn't for you that you wanted to kind of uh, just throw out there before we talk about connections with other sci-fi yes um, and this is this is an idea about the construction of the show okay I'm not I'm not talking about the story that we're telling I'm talking I want to talk about the way the show is constructed okay and I've had this exact problem with several other shows in the past. When you have a large cast of characters, and your cast of characters is not all necessarily in the same location, right? The shows tend to say, well, we have to touch base with every character in every location, or we at least have to go to every different place in every single episode. And the first time I ever saw this was in The Tudors, right? That show about Henry VIII. Um, I don't know if you ever saw this on Showtime. I haven't seen it, no. Like 15 years ago, right? That show had that show had like 30 characters in the principal cast. It was ridiculous. And it tried to touch base with all of them every episode. And it was just a jumbled mess as far as I'm concerned. And then Boardwalk Empire had the same idea. I don't know if you ever saw Boardwalk Empire. But Boardwalk Empire had, like, 20 characters it was trying to tell the story of. And, you know, there were some in Atlantic City, some in Chicago, some in New York, some in Florida. And it was like, let's go touch base with every character, every episode. Let's go to every different location. And the pacing was just ruined. Hmm. And 
Game of Thrones, I said it from the very beginning, has this exact same problem. Okay, You've got so many different characters in so many different locations. You've got King's Landing, you've got Winterfell, you've got Marine, you've got The Wall, you've got... You know, Jamie and, Jamie and Brienne on their walk. You've got Arya's travels through the woods, right? And it's like every episode they have to try and fit in all of these different places. And for me, it doesn't work. I don't like that, that type of storytelling. And I wish... I'll just continue with this Game of Thrones. Let's just take one episode and let's just stay in King's Landing. And everyone who's in King's Landing, let's just tell that story and then let's take the next episode and let's go to the wall or north of the wall and let's just talk about them in this episode yeah and then the next episode let's just go to marine daenerys and all of her that's all we're going to talk about in that episode instead of planet hopping right from place to place okay i think that is a much more effective way to tell a story yeah and Star Trek Picard has this same problem, right? Okay, now here we are on Earth, and then we have to go to the artifact. Okay, and those are really the only two locations, right? There's Earth, the artifact. There's the La Serena, the artifact. There's Nepenthe, the artifact, right? We're not jumping around to as many different locations, but we're still jumping back and forth. And you and I had this problem while we were doing our recaps. We were like... Let's talk about everything first, and let's keep the artifact stuff till the very end, because that's super uninteresting, and we really don't care, right? We did that every episode. We're like, I don't care about what's happening there. Like, like let's just wait to talk about that till the end. Yeah. Okay? And so, for me, I think it could would have been incredibly interesting to tell the story in this way. Okay? I know at the end of the pilot episode, at the end of the pilot episode, you know, you know, Dr. Gerardi says, hey, they're made in pairs. And Picard's like, so there's another one. And then we flash and we see Soji. Yeah. And then we pull out to the Borg, artif- the Borg cube. And I know, I understand the reason why they did that. It's for, like, shock value. Oh, my God. We're on a Borg cube. What's going on here? But, like, shock value is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And I feel the only purpose of that scene is shock value, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. Okay? So what if, instead of telling the story the way they did, you know, we see that scene with Picard and Gerardi, and she says they're made in pairs, and he's like, so there's another one. But Picard doesn't know where she is. He doesn't know what kind of trouble she's in. He doesn't know if she's alive. What if, instead of jumping back and forth to the artifact and not, we stayed in Picard's frame of reference, right? And we only knew what he knew. We didn't know about the artifact. We didn't know where Soji was. We didn't know her name. We didn't know anything about her. We followed Picard, and we were in his frame of reference. After all, the show is called Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Right? We're in his frame of reference, okay? We get to Stardust City Rag. We rescue Bruce Maddox. At the end of that episode, you know, Picard says, Is there another one? Where is she? And he goes, Yes, there's another one. Her name is Soji, and she's on the artifact. He's like, The artifact? You mean the captured Borg cube? 
And then, then for us, we can have shock value at that moment and be like, "Captured Borg Cube? What the hell is that? I want to <laughs> know about. I want to know about that." But instead, for for us, that moment when when Bruce Maddox says she's on the artifact, it doesn't have any impact really because we know where she is, and frankly, it doesn't really seem like she's in all that much danger, right? Yeah. I never really felt like Soji was in danger until the impossible box. But you know, like you you're 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 right. Like the the shock, the the surprise, the discovery of of what this thing is, we're we're robbed from it. And it could have been done in this in this manner that you're kind of describing, uh, where we're just following Picard and in his perspective, right? And you know, to the point of like the danger, like I never felt like we were in danger and something that I would have liked to have seen that we never got the satisfaction of is what's the point of being given the ride spiel of you know keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times please do not disco by the way if your badge turns this color run but there was no badge changing of color oh right? yeah like, yeah when that romulan guy gives that security briefing i was like 100 percent, somebody's badge is going to turn green and they're gonna have to start running and that didn't happen yeah, major, major disappointment as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So. But but I just feel like if if we take all of those scenes from the artifact out of their individual episodes and put them all into one episode, and that's the only maybe we don't even see Picard and the La Serena crew in that episode. We just have an episode titled "The Artifact," and it's just all of those scenes. You know, Soji and Narek, mm-hmm. um, Narek and um, and Narissa, Soji and Hugh, right? And that's that's it. that's just one episode, right? And that happens after Stardust City Rag, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next episode is the Impossible Box. I, it, that keeps us in Picard's frame of reference. It heightens the shock value for us, and it also builds narrative tension. I feel like because. Picard's on this journey, and he's like, there's a rush. I gotta get there, I gotta get there, I gotta figure this out. I have to do this now and build up tension that I feel like is just not there the way this show is constructed. Yeah, and I think if we would have done that, there would have been less uh, like less nitpicking of like the set as well because we, we just would have been like in this you know, monochromatic, you know, industrial-looking something or another without ever knowing that this was a Borg cube because we know what a Bo- the inside of a Borg cube looks like because we've seen it, regardless of what the passage of time is, right? Like, the Borg have been around for friggin' ever. So to... And even then, that could have, like, piqued some curiosity. Like, like yes, like, we have advances in technology, right? Like, with with storytelling, but... Okay, so this is a board cube. It looks different. Okay, this makes me feel a little uncomfortable because it's not what I'm used to. You know, this what happened to this cube? Why does it look this way? What's going on? How th- it, like all these questions that could like peak interest and keep the story going instead of being like Okay, Eric, we're going to we're going to we're going to pump the brakes and not talk about this until the last 5 minutes of this podcast basically. Yeah, which is what we was literally what we did. We're like I'm so uninterested 
in the budding romance between Soji and Narek that mm-hmm. I just want to put off talking about it as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like with the storytelling that you're talking about, that reminds me so much of the books of Lord of the Rings. If you've never read it, the way that it's it's organized is that they're all together in fellowship. Okay, and then two towers and most of Return of the King, the way that it's organized is after the fellowship has their parting, they're they're at the river, you have story A, which is um, book technically it's book three, and then which is um, Legolas, Aragorn, Gimli, eventually Gandalf, and then book four, which is part two of Two Towers, are the Hobbits. It's it's Frodo and Sam, and then you get it. You're you're getting more of of the same in Return of the King for the first part in book five, and then there's a merging together in book six, where they finally come back together and. And I liked how that was because I could focus specifically on this part of the fellowship and still be wondering what the devil's going on with Frodo and Sam and their journey to Mordor. And then having them um, organically come back together because of good storytelling. And the movie does a decent job of that in Lord of the Rings. Um, but they have to. The- the movie, the movie does go back and forth, but I, I feel like you get a lot more extended periods in each place. Like, mm-hmm. I know in The Two Towers, they spend an extended amount of time in Rohan, right? Mm-hmm. A long time, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go for a long bit of time where Frodo and Sam run into um, Gollum. Mm-hmm. And then you cut back and you get a very long time, you know, where you go to Helm's Deep, right? Yep. So it, it, it does jump back and forth, but not quickly. Yeah, yeah. So um, I just want to point that out. And, you know, as we were talking in our show, our, our engaged stuff, like kind of going through the weekly reactions, uh, it wasn't until we got towards, I think, the last two episodes, certainly the last episode, that we were talking. You, you pointed out that there's a lot of, like, other connections to sci-fi one of which i point out was doctor who and i think you also point out battlestar but uh, you know of those shows and perhaps some others what were some connections that you were kind of picking up on between other sci-fi and this first season of picard well well you've mentioned it even on this podcast i see a strong connection to the undiscovered country star trek 6 which for my in my opinion is the best star trek movie of them all um, I know you don't share that opinion. I love Undiscovered Country, like, so much. I watch the heck out of it. Not as yeah. much as First Contact, but I love it. Yeah, so in the Undiscovered Country, the basic premise is Klingon Moon blows up. And because of that, the Klingon Empire is essentially dying, right? Because they can't, they can't produce enough stuff to support them. And... They come to the Federation and ask for help. And the Klingon Empire and the Federation have been enemies for a long, long time. But the Federation sees this as a moment to ease tensions and create an alliance between the two, the two peoples. 
and so they send the Enterprise on a mission to, you know, make peace, essentially. And, and, but then there are factions on both sides that don't want this peace to happen. Right? There are Klingons who try to stop it. There are humans that try to stop it. And so, isn't that essentially what the, the, the preamble to Star Trek Picard is? Right? The Romulan sun blows up. And the Romulan Empire is dying. So they need help. So the Federation offers to help them. Because, hey, we've been enemies for such a long time. Let's figure out a way where we can peacefully coexist. And now we're going to send our point man there to, you know, ease tensions, work diplomatically with you. But there are people on both sides that don't want it to happen. So I see the basic premise of these two stories for Picard it's the preamble that is that is basically the same story as the undiscovered country and that was just very apparent to me right at the very beginning yeah yeah and I guess I didn't see that immediately I 100% do though I mean like like you said I've mentioned undiscovered country a lot just in this episode alone um but yeah, like the the similarities are a lot, and when you have a 2009 Trek where the sun done explodes and you gotta, you know, work with that, then well, yeah, you gotta figure out how you can work with that, and you have the the template in Star Trek Six to to work from. So yeah, and and like other sci-fi that that I know I pointed out before was, was certainly Doctor Who, like with the magic wand thing to fix the lost Serena and to have like the whole duplicate trick going on and fix whatever it's a sonic screwdriver of Star Trek now and uh, I had never seen Battlestar Galactica prior to watching Star Trek Picard now I had have you finished have you finished it I'm I'm still about I think I'm like at the halfway maybe a little bit past the halfway point of season three so I'm getting Kind of close. Kind of ish. Okay. Uh, I'm hoping to be done here in the next few weeks for sure. Okay. So, yeah. So, there, there's definitely a very strong Battlestar Galactica influence in this. Like, anybody who doesn't see that is just willfully ignorant. Right? Like, okay. So, in Battlestar Galactica, Ronald D. Moore's reimagined Battlestar Galactica, we have synthetic robots right they're made of flesh and blood and skin jobs yep and when we when one of them dies their consciousness is downloaded and placed in a new body right Mm -hmm. and so we have cylon picard here Mm -hmm. Uh Mm -hmm. and then another recurring theme to this battlestar galactica is all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again that's something that gets said throughout the entire course of the show like you know history will repeat itself and so now we have this this um i don't know it's not a prophecy but uh Narek tells this story of ganmadon right uh and the chakalagu whatever and he says and he tells this big story and um they're like you believe this is prophecy and he says no i believe this is history 
This is something that's happened in the past, and now it's going to happen again, and we are trying to stop it. So this concept of all of this has happened before, all of this has happened again, is definitely here in this show, as it was in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And then, of course, like the... Again, from from battle from Battlestar and in Picard, just the recurring line of the old man or my old man, which that could be really anything, but I think it's it's pretty obvious. Like especially if you're a Battlestar fan and viewer and things like that, that that just oh, kind of yeah. jumps out for sure. Yeah, how Rios calls him the old man. Yeah, Rafi, he's just an old man. How much trouble could he get into? <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness! And Admiral Picard, Admiral. Ad- okay, never mind. That's just a stretch. Yeah, that's just a rank. Yeah. So, um, I mean, are those like the only connections? Well, that- well, there's there. I don't play video games. Um, I think video games are stupid. But um, <laughs> there's a very popular video game series out there called Mass Effect. Yeah. Right? You may have heard of it. You may have played it. Never I played it. I have heard of it. Don't know anything about it other than it exists. Okay? While we were watching Star Trek Picard, you know, while you go to IMDb and you hear the voice of random person on the internet, a lot of people were saying that this is a blatant ripoff of the storyline of Mass Effect. And I went and looked up this storyline of Mass Effect, and apparently the idea is there is a race of advanced synthetics right artificial intelligence that like you know is super ancient and every now and again comes down to wipe out all life in the galaxy and you're on a mission to stop them which i mean that's essentially what's happening here in star trek picard yeah which i think they also connected to uh season two of another show that we're not talking about today Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Dis- I got, I got, Discovery I got, yeah. for anyone yeah. that didn't pick that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had to think about it for a second. But I got you. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. All right. Well, we have talked about the highs and the lows, what worked for us, what didn't work for us. Um, just our, our journey through season one of Star Trek Picard and uh, just how it just just how it was for us so just like we did with each episode okay it's it's real talk time okay like we're taking kid gloves off right now maybe i don't know overall as a season okay the first season of this show how would you rate it on a scale of one to ten and decimals are acceptable by the way okay so before i go into giving my rating I just want to give my overall broad um, what series, what season one was about for me. Okay. okay. So, Star Trek is very different from a lot of other science fiction franchises. A lot of science fiction is built around dystopia, right? Um, but Star Trek is built around the idea of utopia. Right? We have the Federation, which is a, an idyllic society. And, yeah, okay, utopia, everything should be perfect. And we know in the Star Trek world not everything is perfect. But 
the Federation is still a force for good. Okay? Throughout its history. And now we've seen in Star Trek this idea of the Federation as the good guys and this force mm -hmm. for good has been eroded over time, right? We saw that quite a bit in Deep Space Nine. We saw that in Insurrection. So the Federation is supposed to be this inherent force for good. And over time, that force for good has broken down. And Star Trek is also supposed to be about hope and a better view of tomorrow. And a lot of the criticism leveled at season one of Picard is this Federation is no longer a force for good. We see a corrupted Federation who refuses to help the Romulans, who refuses to help these synthetics. You know, our only real um, person that we see in Starfleet is Admiral Clancy, and she's definitely designed as a character that you're supposed to dislike. Um, and so we see this idea at the beginning where Picard has isolated himself and he no longer has this hope or this optimism and he is just waiting to die. And so for me, Star Trek Picard season one is about the journey of Jean-Luc Picard regaining that hope regaining that optimism and reasserting the fact that the Federation is a force for good and the Federation will always be a force for good and no matter what's happened people, the people within the Federation can make sure and is their duty to make sure that the Federation is a force for good mm -hmm. and we can spread hope and we can spread optimism and so we are on this journey of a man who has lost hope and he's trying to find it again. And that's my overall interpretation of this story, Broad Strokes. And I will give it an 8.25 as a whole. I think there are there are no great episodes. There are three really good episodes. There are two really bad episodes. And the other five are solid. Mm -hmm. Right? Three really good episodes. Two really bad episodes. Five just solid. And so I give it an 8.25. I could not have said a better season one summary than that. And I'm not going to attempt to. I am 100% on board with what you said and how you summarized that. That captures my thoughts and feelings on the season as well. And without seeming like I'm reading Eric's mail, because I have zero show notes of his, and he has zero show notes of mine, we're kind of making this up as we go, the rating I was going to give the season is also an eight and a quarter. Wow. Look at that. It's like, it's like we're on the same wavelength here. It's kind of creepy. It is kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, well, that's it, man. We did it. Like, for real, we did, we did it. it. We did it, guys. We are at the end of Engage. So there won't be any more Engage episodes until we get uh, some new Star Trek, right? Like, whether that's 
whatever comes first, whether it's Discovery Season 3 or it's Lower Decks Season 1 or, shoot, maybe even Picard Season 2. Um, so when that happens, you'll know about it. So yeah, I, I would be shocked if we don't get Discovery by, like, October. Yeah. I mean, I would be shocked. Yeah. I know, like, they got post-production troubles, but we're starting to open things back up, you yeah, know? Yeah, man. Well, there we go. So, uh, Eric, thanks for being on this journey with me so far with our engaging stuff. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. We got to talk about Trek every week and take a two-month little siesta and come right back to it. Before we close this out, um, uh, did you enjoy um, getting episodes week to week, or would you have preferred to um, have them all dropped at once? I am old school. I loved having episodes come week to week because it was some delayed satisfaction. Right? It was it was very refreshing for me. Like, you know, I watched Voyager every episode as it premiered, right? Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. UPN. Um, but then most of the Star Trek I watched was in binge format. Like, I mm-hmm. binged the original series, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, and... This was so much fun every week, just being able to watch this episode and think about it and, and you know, come and talk through it and wonder what's going to happen and break it down. Whereas if you just got all 10 episodes dropped at once, you know, let's say it dropped on the Thursday that it did, right? If they dropped every episode at once, they probably wouldn't have done it on a Thursday. Probably would have done it on a Friday. But, like, I probably would have wa- had it done by Saturday, right? You know, mm-hmm. because I would have had to go to work on Thursday or Friday and would have had it done by Saturday. And I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much. No, because that would have been, like, let's just round it off, right? That would have just been 10 hours and that'd be it. Yeah. There wouldn't be, like, the water cooler talk kind of like you and I are doing. Like, you and I started doing, uh, like, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Which is really creepy. That's hard to say out loud. Well, let's... I mean, it was 2001. 50, let's say. But did we really start talking about Star Trek that long ago? No, no, I'm not talking Star Trek. I'm talking about 24. Oh, oh 24. Yeah, okay, yeah, 24. Yeah, way back in the day. Yeah, so I mean, even it was like 2002 or three, still like almost 20 years ago when you and I were doing like our weekly, you know, show breakdown stuff with that. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I, I loved having weekly episodes coming out, you know, at whatever time. I think it was like 2 a.m., Central yeah. time. Yeah, it was two a.m. Central because that way it was it was midnight Pacific. Uh, Pacific. Yeah. 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 I didn't get up at two a.m. I u- usually got up around six or seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I'd get up at like five fifteen, five thirty, watch it, and then start getting ready, get my daughter ready, and all that stuff. So yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, all right, guys. Well, thank you for um, for engaging with us today as we do a start as we did our star trek picard season one retrospective what do you guys think about what we said uh what if what are some of y'all's thoughts about you know your likes and dislikes what worked for you what wasn't you know what was just not for you uh for this first season uh let us know please let us know uh we want to know kind of like how you're you're engaging with the material as well now that we're two months removed from it at the time of this episode dropping 
Uh, make sure to do that by connecting with us on all the socials at TRTVPod. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can also um, get in touch with us by opening up hailing frequencies and entering in coordinates TRTVPod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send us a voice-only transmission, you can do that by um, entering in 817-752-4757. That's 817-752-4757. Remember, there's a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of These Are the Voyages. Now, finally, if you just want to write us, you know, using one of those cool-looking 23rd century stylus old-school paper iPad things, then you can do that, too, by um, sending something to the Lone Star Station at P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas, A-Z-L-E, 76098. Guys, thank you again for boldly going with us um, as we talk about and engage Star Trek Picard Season 1. And as always, you know the drill. May you boldly go and make it so.